Hello and welcome again to another edition of Lost in Science. This is half an hour on your audio listening device where we, the Lost in Science team, will talk about sciencey things for around about half an hour or so. And on the team, I'm Stu, and with me I have Claire. Hello, Stu. Hi, Claire. And I also have Chris. Ahoy, hoy. Thank you, Mr. Burns. And Claire, what have you brought in for us? What sciencey thing have you brought in for us to cogitate upon this week? Well, I thought it's time that Lost in Science gets lost in the um, the new sort of, I guess you would call it the disease du jour, um, disease of the of the day. Um, you know, COVID. So. 2021 it's not it's everywhere um but you might have seen a lot of news reports and a lot of stories um especially as there's been a sort of milestone recently all about monkeypox and that milestone is a thousand cases across um across 30 countries have been reported um on june 6 i think that milestone was reached so i thought it's time that lost in science get lost in monkeypox for a week and we at least you know start to learn a little bit about it because aren't we all armchair epidemiologists now and if so we've got to put our skills to use that's right again yeah and man I've, I've i've got a lot to say it is yeah it is it is serious in some instances yep. of course i mean spoiler alert you should still listen to the story, but spoiler alert, uh, it, do, it you, you don't actually contract it from monkeys. So okay. there you go. Cute. Yeah, yeah. It's called monkeypox, but it's a misnomer. Looking forward to getting funky with the monkeypox later on in the show. And Chris, what have you got for us? Well, I have a story that was based on some NASA news that was in my Twitter feed for a while, a couple of weeks ago. A news item about a mystery in why different measurements of the Hubble constant don't agree. And the Hubble constant, of course, is a number that describes the rate of expansion of the universe. Now, I guess some, some people might be surprised that I don't know automatically jump on all physics news that comes up. But this one wasn't exactly news, because this is sort of a thing that's been known about for years. And this item was just another measurement adding to the puzzle. So... You know, I sort of thought, call me back when you have an answer for me. Right. So, so this is so someone decided to write a story, I'd like to say blowing was, up how important it is. Or NASA just announced a new a new measurement, basically. But um, but this is actually it is something that I've been meaning to talk about for a while, and so I guess this was a good excuse to do so. People may have seen this news around and wondering what it's about. So I'm going to try to make it make sense and explain why you know these kind of small anomalies in physics, which I seem to be talking about a lot lately. Um, they, you know, they can be quite important at times. So yeah, I'm going to justify it, but, uh, it's interesting. So you're going to, you're going to pop the Hubble bubble causing trouble. That's, that's right, Stu. Yeah. Great. Uh, well, stay tuned for that coming up in the show.
what are you onto? Anything of interest to the uh, scientific community? Together, you and I are going to make the greatest single contribution to science since the creation of fire. It's a big scientific experiment. What do I know? Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. You know, it's been coming for a while, a story on the next disease that is all across the headlines. It is monkeypox, I'm sure. You've all heard of it. You might have read something about it. Uh, I don't know how um, you're feeling, Stu, Chris, about reading about monkeypox. Oh, look, I'm not particularly concerned at this stage. It certainly isn't spreading with the speed that you know more recent pandemics have uh spread That's across right. the world yeah and i feel that many of us are still in kind of protection protecting ourselves from viruses mode um yeah. and so you know i feel like I can, I can dodge this one if need be yeah Absolutely. Um, and that's a good, solid, evidence-based approach to take to um, to this. So well done. Cheers to the both of you. Um, but we haven't covered it on Lost in Science yet. So I want to talk about what it is, where it came from. You know, there might be some burning questions that you've got. Um, maybe, am I going to get it even though there are no monkeys in Australia? Uh, and what we do know and why it has sort of crossed my... Um, I guess, headlines, news headlines recently as the number of infections for this sort of current outbreak has tipped over 1,000. So I thought it was time to consult the experts and equip us all with a little bit of monkey pox virus knowledge on Lost in Science this week. So let us start with exactly what the monkey pox virus is. It is, as, as it says, it is a virus. Um, it belongs to the same virus family that also includes smallpox. Um, and we've learned a lot about RNA viruses recently, certain SARS-CoV-2 or the COVID-19 virus. That's an RNA virus. But smallpox and monkeypox, they are not RNA viruses. They are large DNA viruses. Um, which makes them different. Apparently, according to researchers, it is less able to mutate as easily. So that's something, you know, put that in the pros column, I guess, um, when you're comparing it to SARS-CoV-2 anyway. Uh, And this particular virus, monkeypox, it likes skin tissue. What else you might remember about smallpox, you know, our, the cousin cousin of monkeypox, is that we eradicated smallpox. And we did that with, mac, with um, mass vaccination. Um, and that is possible because, you see, smallpox only affected humans. But monkeypox is carried by an animal viral um, reservoir. So it, will, it cannot be eradicated because it'll always come back from where it hides out within animal populations. Would that be a monkey by any chance? Yeah, well, that brings me to my next point. Thank you for bringing that up, Chris, because despite its name, the natural reservoir is not a monkey. (gasps) I know, right? Shock horror. I know. I I was surprised because that is misleading and... 
offensive to monkeys. Um, yeah, it, it, it was first identified in captive primates in Denmark, and that was back in 1958. Uh, so they named it after a monkey. But in nature, it's found most often in squirrels and other rodents. So, yeah, technically we should be calling it squirrel pox. Do you think? I don't, I don't know. I mean, it sounds it's a cute name, but um, I don't think it's going to catch on. Now, now, now we've got monkeypox. Um, and it has, yeah, like I said, it was identified in 1958. And we have been documenting transmissions from human to animals for a while. So in 1970, the first case, human case of monkeypox was documented. It was in a nine-month-old child in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now, we, what we know about monkeypox is there's two strains there is a West African strain and that has an estimated case fatality of around 1% to 3%. And there, um, that is the strain that has been identified in these recent cases in Europe. There's another strain called the Congo Basin strain. And that has a um, case fatality rate of around 10%. Wow, but that's pretty big. It is, it is, but it is um, uh, the researchers you know, re- remind us that it is in um, places that um, this case fatality load has been identified in places that don't have a um, great access to healthcare, well-established healthcare systems, and it's often in incredibly remote situations. So, um, yeah, just to, to take in, take that into account when you're thinking about um, what that case fatality rate actually looks like. Um, yeah, so interestingly, monkeypox, it's got a really relatively long incubation period. So unlike, you know, we're all very familiar with incubation periods now, aren't we? You know, we, we've, we've been living on this stuff <laughs> for many years. But it the monkeypox incubation period lasts from between six to 13 days it can be up to 21 days and the symptoms when they come on they present as high fever headache swollen lymph nodes muscle pain and fatigue and that's when people are considered to be contagious then you get your rash so it usually starts on the face and gradually spreads over the rest of the body Um, now in the west african strain this can be you know pretty infrequent the rash um, and the disease typically lasts between two and four weeks and it tends to go away by itself um, complications of monkeypox you've got uh, yes Chris is this why monkeys are always doing the ooh, 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 scratching themselves under the arms stuff like that in our I mean it, okay all right you I mean good good one yeah but I hope you see squirrels doing that <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, okay yeah okay yeah let's good. not let's not um, further demonize the monkey. Okay. Primates <laughs> are our mates, yeah. Primates are, primates are our mates. Yeah. That's good. Um, you should coin that. Put it on a T-shirt. Mm. Uh, so complications of monkeypox include dehydration, uh, secondary bacterial infections from uh, infections of the lesions, and sepsis, and corneal and other sort of eye lesions that can lead to vision loss. And um, there has also been document 
documented cases of brain inflammation or encephalitis um, in some cases as well. And treatment of the disease, it's largely symptom-based, so uh, involves methods like disinfecting the, legion, the les, lesions, administering antibiotics, and uh, rehydration. Now, the spread outside of the African continent into the UK, into Spain, into Portugal and France <clears throat> and 30 other countries that's happened recently since May, this isn't the first time that it has um, spread further than the African continent. Um, it reached the US in 2003 and that was from infected prairie dogs um, who were in pet shops and they were hanging out with Gambian pouched rats who are a vector for monkeypox. So maybe it should maybe it should be the Gambian pouched rat pox. It it just seems like um, you know, the the desire to have exotic species of pet is oh. not such a great idea. I mean it's you know, I haven't heard anything but bad things coming from <laughs> Keeping exotic pets, really. Right? Didn't we mm. learn this lesson? Anyway, I mean, this was 2003. Any, any, anyway, around 50 people got monkeypox. Um, there wasn't any human-to-human -human transmission. But then um, in September 2017, there was a more severe outbreak in Nigeria, and there were about 500 cases there. Um, the current outbreak is a little bit different. The first case of the current outbreak that's recorded was someone travelling back from Nigeria. That was on May 7, 2022. Um, but what we're seeing now is several other cases in the United Kingdom that um, have been confirmed but are totally unrelated to one another and to this sort of the, to this 7th of May case. And they hasn't, hadn't visited any other African countries. So it does leave scientists scratching their head on what is happening here what are the chains of transmission and um you know when you've got this really long incubation period i guess it makes things a lot harder to work out chains of transmission as um as we know um yeah but what we do know is we've got a thousand cases detected in 30 different countries worldwide uk spain and portugal being the, the highest caseloads um, and I guess, you know, thinking about that sort of, you know, squirrel rodent vector situation, squirrels and rodents are pretty widespread around the world. So there is, you know, quite a risk that um, monkeypox can become, I guess, endemic in those wild populations somehow if it's spreading around the world between humans and, um, and rodents and squirrels if there is sort of like transmission back and forth between the species. Um, so yeah, monkeypox, it is transmitted via animal to humans, but there is also human to human transmission and the human to human transmission that happens from prolonged contact. So long extended contact between people who are infected that could be through bodily fluids or contaminated materials. And it all, it often happens in people who are in, um, the same households as one another. A case study in 2017 with the Nigerian outbreak suggested that um, individuals uh, 
Well, it, it actually showed that in individuals um, there was a higher number of people getting monkeypox in their genitals and that this virus was actually transmitted through close skin-to-skin contact during sex. So researchers are suggesting maybe sexual transmission could be behind the new outbreak and the frequency between human-to-human uh, transmission of monkeypox and... Um, so yeah, that's that's one of the sort of like lines of research and tra- transmission that they that they're gathering further information on. So there you go. There's still a lot more to know about monkeypox transmission. Um, you know, the long incubation period it makes it quite difficult. Um, but certainly, current research it doesn't suggest it is as transmiss as transmissible as something like what we've been dealing with for the past three years. And one thing to note is that we do have a smallpox vaccine that is effective against uh, monkeypox to a certain level. Uh, And current healthcare workers in some of the countries that have confirmed cases of monkeypox are getting access to that vaccine. So that's fantastic. Um, So even though, you know, the world's new disease is a little bit triggering for all of us, this disease is a very different beast can i say and remember that beast is not a monkey science, novel and innovative concepts occasionally arise from sudden left-field inspiration. Nothing shocks me. I'm a scientist. But I'd rather be remembered for my own small contributions to science. As a scientist, I don't want to prejudice my experiment. I'll let you know in the morning. I am a scientist! I think they're scientists. I bring scientists. You bring a rock star. Across Australia, on the Community Radio Network, you are listening to Lost in Science. Alright, in the year 1900, the famous British scientist Lord Kelvin gave a lecture in which he described two dark clouds hanging over 19th century physics. Uh, These clouds were the puzzle of how the Earth moves through the luminiferous ether, which is a substance that was then believed to carry light waves, and the possibility of a breakdown of the theory of heat capacity at low temperatures. All very boring and obscure stuff, you might say. But these two particular clouds that he singled out as kind of being the things that was like, oh, this is the problems we got. They turned out to be eventually would be dispelled by special relativity and quantum mechanics, respectively, which were the two great revolutions of the 20th century physics. So what I'm saying is that sometimes you have these seemingly small mysteries and things that you go, ah, there's this little outstanding thing, but they have enormous solutions. Right. Yeah. You never know what... What's just around the corner? That's right, exactly. 
they weren't they weren't just tiny problems. They were actually a complete misunderstanding of the universe. Is that what essentially? Essentially, they seem like tiny problems. Like, <laughs> oh, we we kind of understand everything except for these two things. Isn't that a bit of a puzzle? But oh, I'm sure we'll figure that out. But uh, yeah, they turn out to be rather big things. So. Um, fundamental physics today often seems to have stalled as we try to reconcile things like gravity and quantum physics and understand both the very, very small and the very, very large. But there are no shortage of curious mysteries that may give us a clue to where we might go. And today I'm going to be talking about one of those, which is a discrepancy between two different methods of measuring the Hubble constant, which is a number that describes the expansion of the universe. Now, this expansion was first described in the 1920s by astronomers Edwin P. Hubble, as you might have guessed, and Georges Lemaitre. I probably did not pronounce that, pronounce that correctly, but that'll have to do. Um, now, the way this works can be a bit hard to picture, but um, I'm going to borrow a dis- explanation that Katie Mack gave in her book, The End of Everything. So if you imagine stretching a slinky, you've got a slinky that's kind of all compressed, and you stretch it out uniformly... Mm-hmm. Um, each coil, each like coils in the slinky will move apart from each other at the same rate. Like if you look at adjacent coils, they move apart from each other at the same rate. But the two ends were moving apart much quicker than the coils in the middle because they kind of got the sum of all the the little increases between them, right? Yeah. So in a similar way, with the universe expanding, the further away something is, the faster it's going to be moving away from us because everything is kind of assuming we're assuming everything is expanding uniformly and in fact the speed and the distance that things are the distance that things are and the speed they're moving away are roughly proportional and you can get the speed by multiplying the distance by the hubble constant that's what it is it's a number that you multiply the distance something is and you can find out how fast it's moving away so it describes basically the expansion of the universe and there are two ways of measuring it one is by using something they call standard candles uh, which are things like variable stars or certain types of exploding stars called type 1a supernovae. Now, these type 1a supernovas, they are when a white dwarf kind of builds up more mass and it gets too much mass and then it explodes. Um, essentially, it gets mass gets above a certain limit and it goes supernova. Now, the limit is set, the mechanism is pretty well known, and these supernova are believed to all be the same. So when you see one of them in our galaxy or in a galaxy far, far away, you know how big the explosion has to be, so you can tell how far away it is by how bright it appears to be to us. So obviously the fainter it is, the further it is away. Um, And you can tell how fast it's moving from the redshift of its light spectrum. So they're a great way of kind of calibrating, they call this the distance ladder of measuring out the distances of the universe. And so measurements that were made using these in the 1990s were what showed us that there was dark energy, so that the, the expansion of the universe wasn't uniform, it was actually accelerating. They concluded, concluded there was this dark energy that was driving the expansion. Um, so obviously that complicates things slightly. The Hubble constant is not actually constant over time necessarily. But you can still say, okay, we're going to say we can at least work out how fast things are moving today at this point in time. And that's what this latest measurement from NASA is. Um, They did a survey of 42 supernovas using, um, appropriately enough, the Hubble Space Telescope. And they got a measurement of the Hubble constant of 73.04 plus or minus 1.04 kilometers per second per megaparsec. So you multiply 73.04 times the distance in megaparsecs, with parsec being a distance measurement, not a speed. Thank you, um, um, 
Han Solo. Han Solo. Yeah, and you get the speeding <laughs> kilometers per second. So that was one way of measuring it, and this is the most accurate measure we've got using that method. Now, the other main way of measuring the Hubble constant gives a different result, though. So what you can do is you can look at um, patterns in the cosmic microwave background radiation. So this is the kind of radiation that comes from everywhere in the universe, essentially the fires of the Big Bang. So you're kind of seeing the heat from the initial Big Bang itself. And um, these um, patterns, they correspond, we believe they correspond to the large scale structure of the universe that we see today. Um, so you can look at say, basically how far things are apart, like how far the, the bumps in this were then, and you can basically run the theory forward and work compared to the universe today, you can work out how the universe has expanded in the intervening time. Um, so that method gives a, it gives a slightly better um, accuracy, the uncertainty is 0.5 kilometers per second per megaparsec, but the number involved is 67.5 instead of 73.04. So these are quite different numbers. Um, the studying the supernova gives you a much higher number that is a faster expansion than the, the study of the early universe. So these measurements don't match. Um, you know, in the early days of the puzzle, everyone just assumed that one of the teams was basically getting it wrong and that eventually they would do better measurements and get the, the right answer. But the measurements have just gotten better and more accurate. And so it seems like there's actually something genuine going on to explain this discrepancy. Now, there are a few possibilities for what it might be. I mean, the obvious one, um, and I think the one you have to say is most likely, is that our theory of cosmology that we're using to extrapolate the expanse of the universe is wrong or incomplete. I mean, we don't actually even know what dark energy and dark matter are. We don't know how gravity works at a fundamental level. So, you know, you could say there's a lot of gaps there in that knowledge. Um, so that's one possibility. Um, you've got to face the problem, though, that this theory explains pretty much everything else we see in the universe. And so it's hard to just kind of tweak it without stuffing up some of the um, other observations that we see. Um, and one of the complications that, for instance, is that um, we have recently discovered stars in our galaxy, no less, that appear to be almost as old as the universe itself. Now, um, if they're almost as old, you can say, okay, they form kind of right after the Big Bang, we can accept this. But if the universe is expanding faster than we thought, then you kind of knock off a few hundred million years from its age, and um, you start to basically, these stars start to look a bit too close to the beginning of the universe, mm. um, and you start to wonder, well, is this really possible? So there's kind of those observations that we'd have to fit into these numbers as well. Um, so the other possibility, I guess, is that we don't understand supernovas. Um, you know, that's what some people have suggested. But there have been other measurements made of the local um, rate of expansion using other techniques that give similar results. So that seems like an unlikely explanation. So the other intriguing possibility there is that there is something weird going on in our corner of the universe. So like, for instance, if there was um, say less mass in the bit that we are in, then perhaps galaxies are moving further away from us faster than they would elsewhere in the universe. Excuse me. <coughs> so that's one possibility. It's hard, I guess, maybe to, to see from where we're sitting in the universe whether we're different to elsewhere, but I mean, we generally assume that we are the same as everyone else in the universe, but that is, I guess, one possibility that we can't discount. So look, either, either way, something happens. This cloud, remaining cloud, I guess you could say, of 21st century physics, it will reveal something interesting when it clears. Until it does, we won't know whether it's a Hubble bubble causing a wobble or if Einstein and Newton are really in trouble.
that is all we have time for this week on Lost in Science. Thank you for joining us in Getting Lost. If you have any questions or suggestions for the team, get in touch with us by email. We are lostinsci at gmail.com. You can send cheap tweets to us at lostinscience1 on Twitter, or you can find us on the ubiquitous Facebook Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the land of the Kulin Nation and is broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find a podcast version of the show on 3cr.org.au or you can tune in the way you did this week when we return in our usual time slot to get Lost in Science!